Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Labor Day weekend. I'm super excited that you guys are with us today. Thank you for being here. If you're joining us for the very first time today, my name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church, and we are in for a treat this morning. We, we can celebrate that. We're in for a treat. Y'all get a break from me and my shenanigans today, but I'm, I'm super excited uh, to have my brother, my mentor, my coach, Mr. Robbie Fisher. Robbie has been uh, probably the leading voice in my life mm. over the last two years related to preaching. Mm. Um, he's, he's, you know, coached me and mentored me in that, and I've grown tremendously over that. So thank you so much for that. So can you please help me give a warm New City welcome for Mr. Robbie Fisher? Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. Wow, Rodney. That was sweet. Um, so the last time I was in this room, I'm, I'm going to say this and it sounds like it's sad, but it's, it was joyous, was I did a funeral in here uh, for my friend Bill Guandolo, who we, we were in a life group for 10 years. There's that handsome man. Yeah, and uh, what, what a good man. And I did it with, with Chrissy, with Chris, with your pastor that I call Chrissy. And if you, yeah, if, if you want to know why, because I knew him since he was like 12, right, Debbie? So... If, if you want to know why, just come up afterwards. I can tell you a lot of stories. In fact, if you need to know those. Um, so anyway, we did the, the funeral here. And the thing that got my attention, so if you were here, there was like six eulogies. And all of the eulogies started with, I can't really tell you very many stories. Like, usually that's a bad thing, Right. Like, oh, there's, there's bad stories, but I can't tell them in mixed company. I can't tell them, you know, at a church. But person after person kept reflecting that folks in the room didn't really necessarily believe in Jesus, but they believed in Bill, and they were looking over Bill's shoulder to see who Jesus was. And if, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Who's going to be at your funeral? Will it kind of be the posse, you know, everybody that just knew you and loved you and thought like you and looked like you and spoke like you? Or are you going to have folks at the funeral that would say, not sure about Jesus yet, but I know you and I'm looking. So that, that, that to me, it kind of boils down to what is your purpose why are you here? Why, why does God have us here in the first place? So I might get a little bit more personal and say, your funeral is a long time away, hopefully. Who's going to be at your next big birthday party? When you turn 30, when you turn 40 or 50, who's going to be there? Who's going to be included? Or let's just get a little bit closer. Who's going to be at your Labor Day party tomorrow? Right? Right? Who are you going to invite from the neighborhood, the, the family, the friends that, that need to see Jesus? To me, what I remember when I think of Bill is this verse that Jesus said. Shine your light so that men will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
I have made you a light. So shine that light, not for your own glory, and not so that people think you are the awesome, the bomb, but that people think highly of your Savior. I think that's kind of what we're supposed to be about. So today I'm going to take us back to the book of Acts, to the early church, and see how they responded to that calling of what God had given them and how they lived it out. So out of the reverence of reading in the scripture, if you could, stand with me. And we're going to start with, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, was this commission that Jesus gave to his early church. And he said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to us, to the ends of the earth. Lord, would you speak to each one of us, remind us what you're doing, who you are, and who you've made us to be, and would you illustrate and show us where you want us to step in, to being lights, to being your example in the uttermost parts of the earth. Thank you, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may sit down, maybe seated. Okay, so I'm going to throw up a map here of where we're going, just so that, you, you know, if you're the kind that wants to know where I've been and where we're going. So if you will, this is Acts 1.8. This is also called Paul's first missionary journey. But it starts down in Jerusalem. If you see down there, that's where... Everything got started, Jerusalem and Judea, and moving forward just north would be the area of Samaria, which is half Gentile, half Jews, many living under the same roof in that regards. And now, where I'm going to position us is Acts 13, the beginning of the ends of the earth. And uh, so if you go due north 300 miles, you see Antioch. That's where Acts 13 is going to start, and uh, that's the beginning where it now enters into the world of the Gentiles. And then if you look at the furthest north point in the uh, red arrows, you will see Antioch in Pisidia, and that's where we're going to end up. That's where Paul gives his first message, and we'll kind of focus on that. So that's the story of the book of Acts, by the way. And uh, so now let's get back into Acts 13. If you happen to be a baseball fan, back in the day, you would, you would get these scorecards and you could kind of keep track of who was playing and what position and all of that. So the beginning of Acts 13 gives us that. We're going to see who uh, we're talking about, like who's in, in the playing field. So Acts, right at the beginning, the verse 1 to 3 says... Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch in Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manny, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. And so after much fasting and prayer, 
the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. So let me make a couple of notes about this right at the beginning. First of all, I, I love this idea. There's always a group, always a posse being sent out. And in fact, I read the book of Acts a couple of times this summer and looked specifically, is there any time that God calls one person for a mission, but not a group? And as far as I see, none. Every time they're being called out, they're being called out in a group, which is kind of not Western because, you know, we have Frank Sinatra running in our brain. I did it my way, you know, and I kind of, you know, you, you don't see the managers of the year. You see a manager of the year or you don't see the presidents of the United States unless the band from the 90s, which is something else. Um, but president of the United States, it's always individual. That's kind of how we think leadership. But they were always sent out as a group. And note right here at the beginning, it says, appoint Barnabas and Saul. Now, Saul is going to be Paul. Paul is his Roman name. Okay? But notice the order. Because you have the OG right at the beginning. The old guy or the old gangster you know, Barnabas is the man just, just a bit ahead of Saul, Paul, and everyone else, okay? Just a little bit older. And in fact, here's a picture of his burial site. And it's a, a big deal, and people visit this because Barnabas, whose real name is Joseph, Barnabas just means encourager. It's like, hey, encouraging dude. That's what they're calling him. When they call him Barnabas, that's how his name and he doesn't go by Barney that I know of. It's just, it's just Barnabas, which means as soon as you see him, gift of encouragement, the person who encourages, right? That's who he was. So let me give you a little backdrop to Paul's missionary journey that's real important or it doesn't happen. In Acts 11, a little bit before, we see this. Uh, this is the backdrop to what's going on with the Apostle Paul. It says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, meaning that a lot of Gentiles were now coming to faith, when they heard that was happening, they sent Barnabas from Jerusalem to Antioch because Barnabas is the old guy. He's the one that's kind of at the front of the, of the movement. And when he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. And he was filled with joy. And he encouraged, of course, the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. That's who Barnabas is. Then it says, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, because Saul was a persecutor of the church. And really, if you can kind of get a mentality where we're at, nobody wants to be around him. They're not sure if he's going to you know, report to the authorities. Are you really on the side? Are you really in the church? And so Barnabas went to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large groups of people. And it was there in Antioch that believers were first called Christians. So I kind of want to say this. Let's, let's take a little sidebar. Barnabas goes after Saul, goes after Paul, and retrieves him. 
if you don't have Barnabas, you don't have Paul. And in a human sense, if you don't have Paul, you don't have you and me. In a human sense, God used Paul to bring the gospel our way. So there's always got to be somebody mentoring the next generation. And there's always got to be the next generation responding to that. So I'm going to stop us and say, who is your OG? Who is somebody in your life just a little bit ahead of you that speaks into you, that you allow to tell you the truth? Who's your mentor? And who are you mentoring? Who are you bringing along because uh, they've just had a newborn and they don't know what to do and they're terrified? Who are you bringing along? Somebody from the nursery? Somebody from your neighborhood? Always the reason the gospel is moving is because it's this. They're being sent out in a group, and they're always mentoring and being mentored. And that's what you see throughout the book of Acts. So worthwhile just kind of putting on your prayer list, Lord, who might you want me to invite to speak into my life? And who might you want me to slow down a little bit and look around and walk with them? Okay? Not trying to get up in your business, but that's, you know, what the book of Acts does. Okay, back to the action. We're back in 13. And we're on the first missionary journey. And verse 14 and 15 says, But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Let me stop us again. Paul and Barnabas. You, you recognize that, right? That makes sense to you. Before, it didn't. Barnabas and Saul. That's because what Barnabas did was eventually turn the keys over. Barnabas was probably the leader of the movement to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And Barnabas went to get his replacement. Just another good word. If you're in leadership, who are you bringing along to give the keys to? It's always supposed to be about moving the gospel to the next generation, moving your business. This is just good principles always to be working yourself out of a job. And that's what Barnabas did. Continuing, on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. They're at Antioch, Pisidia. And after the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge, they sent this message, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So get this picture. We've been now traveling. We're in the city, Antioch, Pisidia. And Paul and Barnabas show up. And the synagogue, all of the leaders, and evidently Gentiles are included here, uh, are brought in. And they say, will you give us a message? Now let me just show you what Antioch, Pisidia looks like, just so that you can kind of get this in your mind. By the way, there's a young lady standing on top of this edifice with her hands raised. That's my daughter, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Always doing this form. I don't know what that means. Hands to the sky. Maybe it's like a yoga pose or something. Um, so there she is. But the outline, the full building is called uh, Paul's um, Basilica. The Basilica of Paul. So the, the whole building is that. So it's a a church from maybe the third century, second century, but inside where she's standing 
is the synagogue. This is where Paul gave the message. Literally, what we're reading was right there. This is the first written down message of Paul. And so, you know, kind of remember your first day of school, your first day on the job, your first day with a newborn, his first sermon, you know, surely he was feeling it. And the sermon focuses, we're not going to read it, but you can go back and read it. It's a great sermon, of course, but it focuses on the history of the Jews, on redemption, but it centers on Jesus. And here's what it says kind of at the end, verse 38 and 39. He says, he's bringing the whole sermon to conclusion. He says, brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. What good news. Through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. And everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. You can work and work. You will never be able to measure up. It will never bring you freedom. But here's freedom. Your freedom comes when you get a different identity. Your identity is as a beloved one. Forgiveness is in Jesus, and you get a new identity. So let me ask you another nosy question. When you go to bed tonight and you're replaying the day, some things were good, some things were bad, some things feel like shame or failure, some things feel like success. Do you hear as a meta-narrative over the whole thing, but you're loved? You are my beloved. Because of my work, because of everything that I've done for you, your whole identity is different. It's not based on your ethnicity, based on your nationality, based on your sexuality. It is based on one thing, the kindness of God. It's changed everything. So this is the message that he gives them. Real freedom is only found here at your core to be a loved one. Well, good news, right? I mean, sometimes we just hear it and we kind of go, yeah, I know that. What, what, what's more details? But there's no better good news than that. There's no better story than to hear this. Okay, so that's, that's the message. Then after the sermon, Paul is saying goodbye. And the next day, in fact, he's leaving and he gives them this job description. So this is, I think, as he's speaking to the people of Antioch, Pisidia, he's looking over their shoulders and he's looking at you and me. And he says this. Here's the big deal right now. I'm jumping up and down. For the Lord gave us this command, he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corner of the earth. Always God's people, the identity and call, the identity as beloved, the call is to be the light, to be the light to the Gentiles. Gentiles really means nations, I, I kind of interpret it as the call to anyone that's different than you, anyone that sees life differently than you, anyone that you wouldn't naturally go by, and somehow now they're right in front of you. That's who you're called to. That's who you're called to show the light to. 
And I think most of our problems in the church come when we emphasize one of them over the other. Either we emphasize the call to be holy, to be righteous, to be all together, and we forget that we're supposed to love, that we are loved at our core, and we're supposed to love that way. So we either focus on this, you know, this calling, or we focus on, I am so loved. Get, let me give myself a group hug right now. This is great. I feel so good. And I never actually get to my neighbor. I just get my life together. I get my children together. I get my family together. But I never go out. So, you know, Romans 12 says this. In view of God's mercies, present your body a living sacrifice. Not, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and present your body. Nope. In view of God's mercies. Because he has done the work and he loves you so. Now live this way. And live this way to broadcast the gospel, the love of God, to anyone you meet indiscriminately. Now, this has been God's call throughout uh, history for his people. In fact, Isaiah 49 says this. And now the Lord speaks. The one who formed me in my mother's womb is to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. So this is Isaiah's call to bring Israel back. And the Lord has honored me, and my God has given me my strength. And he says this, you will do more than just restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You hear the language that is being echoed in Acts? It started right here. This is where it's coming from. Except that Israel chose to say, no thanks. Over and over you see people rejecting being a light to the Gentiles a couple of ways. One is they would choose to isolate away. We kind of go, okay, we're, everybody just gather around, those of you who belong, and we're just going to let the world go to smithereens, right? There's that idea of isolation. There's also an idea of amalgamation, of just becoming part of the world, of the culture. You can't tell the difference. This is what Israel did over and over. They'd isolate and then amalgamate. They'd become part of the system, part of the world. But God's way, so this is big, God's way is always incarnation. Jesus came on a rescue mission to be with you. Isn't that like devastating? Not just to save you, not to make you moral, not to make you better, not to get your life together. Jesus came to be with you. It's called incarnation. That's the God's pattern. John 1.14 says, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. In fact, there's another version that says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's God's way. That's what God is calling us to do. And so let me say this. That's messy. It's hard. It's confusing. And it's God's way. It's the way Jesus always, when he sees a leper, he moves towards the leper. And guess what happens? Jesus doesn't get leprosy. The man gets healed. This is Jesus' way, and he calls us to be this exact same way. Can I say this? Maybe I can because I have the microphone. Uh, 
You are the gift to your neighborhood. God's plan. You are the gift to your business, to your school, to your classroom. You are the gift to your family. And I'm saying that biblically. You're the gift because God incarnates and moves towards. He sends you out. He's doing his work, but he puts you there to be the light. You go, well, but I don't have all the answers. What, what answers does the light have to have? It kind of just shows up and is amazing because it, that's what it is. It reflects what it's got, right? You are the gift. First, God gives you and through you the message and through you the gift of love, of kindness, of wisdom, of, 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 a, of being around at the right time. Let me just talk about what the light does. Uh, Rob, can you help me here? This light is not really working that much because it's so light. But now, as it gets darker, oh, you guys are here. That's kind of cool. Um, the light brings, I'm just going to say a couple of things. I literally looked, and there's endless amounts of adjectives and descriptions for light. But one of the things it does is it brings warmth. It warms the room. It warms an environment. When the light shows up, it changes coldness to warmth. It casts out fear. If I have light, I feel like I can kind of navigate it and make through. Uh, one more thing that I'm just going to say is light also tells you what's real. And that's a truth teller of what's really real. And when you see the light, now I can see you guys. I see that you're really here and not just saying hi every once in a while. Light, that's what light does. And by the way, at its best, in the darkness, light shines the best. Like you see, now you didn't, you didn't even remember that I turned on the light, did you? How many people kept wondering, what's he going to do with that light? Anybody? Okay, we got one because, you know, mostly it's just back there for effect. But every once in a while, when you turn it dark, it's like, thank you for keeping that light on. That's, that's because light is the best in the darkness. Diamonds shine the most against black velvet, right? And so how do we shine? I want to say one word, and then I have a beautiful illustration. Uh, I think the most important thing about shining your light, I'm working with your identity is as the beloved, is showing up. The most important thing about being the light after you get that identity is just showing up. It's the hardest thing, too, because sometimes I've got too much to do. I'm too busy. I'm not noticing all of this. So showing up is so important. So I have my best friend who I have lived with for 36 years. My lovely wife, Janet, is a light to the business community. And so I'm going to call her to come up. And give us a little insight on what it's like to be light in the business community, to light to the Gentile, to the world, to the nations. And what's, what's one principle maybe that we can take home, that we can live? Okay, thanks. Hey, babe. Hey. So, um, like Robbie said, we've been married 36 years. We just celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary last week. 
It is possible. So I've been a pastor's wife for 36 years. And so I know a lot of professional Christians. Like I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of missionaries. I know a lot of people that work at, you know, nonprofits, things like that. And I really value what that light that they are. Like I value the way they shine light into the world. But one thing I'll tell you about being a pastor's wife, and I think you would agree with this too, as soon as someone learns that you are a pastor, I think about the man on the elevator, remember, the, or, the, or the airplane that you were, he said, oh, yeah. yeah. So um, sometimes when you tell someone that you're a pastor's wife or you're a pastor, they, they're a little shocked and they, they, sometimes they'll clean themselves up a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, they just kind of, act a little bit, you know, maybe their language changes a little bit, or they, a lot of times people will tell Robbie, oh, I went to church, or I'm planning to come to church, you know, that kind of stuff. So people, my sense is that maybe people aren't quite as real as um, they might be. So I've, as I've kind of asked myself, Lord, what's my best way to enter into the real lives of other people. The answer for me came in the workforce, being part of the workforce. And I realized that was my mission. And I was thinking when you were talking, I wanted to say this to you while you were speaking just now, that when you go and you are a light in a dark place, um, or you go towards people that are different than you, what you're saying is you go to a place you don't belong. And not belonging somewhere is really, really hard. And so it, your light can be very bright, but it can be kind of trying sometimes to go to a place where you don't belong. So I feel that sometimes. Um, but the reason I go is because I, I learned... I don't know if any of you guys remember Stephen Covey, but like he had everybody do a mission statement years and years ago, and it was this crazy thing everybody was doing. And I, um, so I wrote a mission statement, and my mission statement was kind of visual in my mind. It was like there's this big muddy puddle, and I have the choice. I can stay on the edge of the puddle and kind of stay cleaned up. I'm a pastor's wife. I can stay cleaned up, or I can go into the puddle. Now, not everybody's going to want to be... Um, you know, cleaned head to toe. So what I can do, the only thing I can offer is perspective. And I can, I have this vision of just like having like a cloth and I'm just wiping people's eyes. And that's kind of the vision of the light, isn't it? Where you're just kind of asking a question being, um, or, or offering a truth. The thing that I think about with Jesus is, um, I read this book recently. It was called Jesus is the Question. And it said that Jesus asked 307 questions in the four Gospels. He was asked 183. And guess how many he directly answered? Three. So he was, I have this sense he was curious. And when I go into a meeting or when I go into work for the day, I say, I'm just going to be curious. I'm going to ask God to give me love for the people that I'm around, but mostly I'm just going to be curious about their lives. And this was really kind of stood out very drastically for me, and I'll tell a story and then I'll be done. And when I, I switched jobs, so, so for 30 years I was in healthcare. I was a, a nurse originally and then more like of an administrator type person. 
And so I went, I shifted from that environment full of nurses to a financial services firm full of accountants. So these are very different people, nurses and accountants. And one of the things I noticed right away was that people, how punctual people are, right? I see Scott there, he, we work together. People are very punctual and time is really important. And so there was no chit chat. Nobody ever asked, how's your life? How's your kids? What's going on? And I just didn't know what to do with that. I thought, how am I going to get to know these people? I'm curious about their lives. I'm curious about um, what's going on with them. And that's how I shine my light. And so I started just saying, I have to, I have to chit chat, you know? And so I started chit chatting and through that got to know people. And one day, um, one of the men that I worked with, his brother died suddenly. So when he came back to work, I was in this meeting and um, I said, oh, Rick, I'm so sorry about your brother. You know, just normal stuff that you would do. And um, later on, as I was asking for some feedback from one of my leaders, she said, you've been here about six months. And the thing you have brought more than anything is you have taught us how to be human. And I think, oh, my gosh, that was such a huge compliment to me to be like, you're bringing that warmth. You're bringing that, and you're, you're, you're sensing um, making people curious. So the reality about light is that it's going to shine on, on everybody. But only a few people are going to say, you're teaching me how to be human, right? Only a few people are going to sit up and listen. And Henry Blackaby says, um, figure out where God is working and join him. And that's my philosophy. That would be my encouragement to you as you go into the real world. Um, figure out where God is working and then just join him. It's not on your back to do that. It's on, um, you just get to be part of it. So. Thank you. Uh-huh. Obviously the cool thing about that is I see her come home and tell the stories about this. Uh, let me go back now to the message that uh, Paul gave in conclusion. Uh, really the encouragement that he gave us. And I'm just going to give us a couple of principles to look at, a couple of perspectives. He says in 13, when he's saying goodbye to them, he says, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. And then he, you see the response of that phrase in four different ways. One is in verse 49, it says, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So listen to that. All who were chosen for eternal life became believers when they had heard this message. Here's, the, I think, the best encouragement that I can give. It is always God's work. You know the song we sing, Risa? God is always at work. Even when I don't realize it, he's always working, always working, Right? This is the encouragement to you. When you show up, he shows his light through you. It's not about you having all the answers. It's not about you having it together or even being, you know, the, on the, you know, running such a race that everybody's in awe of you. It's about you being light because that's what he did in you. So he ordained that. Here's a second response. This is in verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard these words from Paul, they were very glad and they thanked the Lord for the message. I love this 
that we get to participate in people coming to faith, walking the faith out, and passing it on to the next generation. Don't be confused. It's not about you. It's never going to be about your self-actualization. But you get invited, just like Adam got invited to name the animals. He didn't create them, but he got to name them. He got to be a part of it. So this is just a beautiful thing. When you're doing this, many people are going to say, thank you, Lord, for your testimony, for your faithfulness, for your, your presence. Thirdly, it says, in, this is in verse 50, then the Jews stirred up influential religious women and leaders of the city against them, and they started a mob. Guess what? Sometimes you're going to shine the light, and somebody's going to be asleep, and they want to be asleep. And what do you say when somebody turns on the light and you're asleep? Ashley. Turn it off. Ah, my, my daughter, when I used to put her in the car seat in the wrong place, Daddy, bite, bite, it's bite, right? So that's how you're going to get some responses. That doesn't mean the gospel is negated. It just means that God is working in different ways with different people, and that one right now is asleep and prefers to be asleep. Lastly, it says that in verse 52, the last verse, and the believers were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Your joy and my joy is found in living out this identity as the beloved and stepping into the calling one person at a time. Remember mentoring step by step, being in a group, walking together? That's where your joy is found. That's a cool offering, a promise. Remember at the beginning of the message, I told you about Bill Guandolo. Anybody know Bill, by the way? Hands up if you know. Okay, a few people. Um, Bill, three days before he died, I don't know who does this. I was envious at the way he died because he died with such joy and such graciousness. Three days before he died, he brought our life group over, blessed each one of us, put our, our face in his hands and spoke to us about our value. We took communion, we sang a hymn, and then he had given us this video. So this is a one-minute video on basically three days before he died. Listen to this, Joy. Okay. Hey, say, fellas. Hey, guys. Here with uh, the number one Cubs fan. <laughs> and, uh, At least. <laughs> just wanted to know how much we love you. Yeah. How much God loves you. That's right. And um, how much I love you. And I'm grateful mm. for knowing you. Praise God. And I am grateful for all of your prayers and love and grace and mercy. It literally um, fills me. Yeah. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much. Mm. I love you guys. All right. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. Friends, live your life this way. As a beloved and as a called one, a light to the Gentiles, to all of those who are different than you and are searching. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's your work. You're the faithful one. You know we are tripping up, falling, starting, stopping. You are faithful. So all of us here, we're looking for you. 
Would you guide us, equip us, motivate us? We're listening. And we want to follow you like beloved children. In Jesus' name, amen.